Hi, and welcome to Integrative Cancer Solutions with Dr. Carl Feld. A cancer diagnosis is one of the hardest slap in the face imaginable. All of a sudden, you have to become an expert in cancer and its treatments because your life depends on it. Oncologists, family, and friends are pushing you towards chemo, radiation, surgery, and yet you feel there are additional solutions out there. You don't feel confident in that only traditional therapies will take care of it. You may, as I have, seen family or friends quickly go downhill from harsh medical treatments. There is a better way. I invite you to listen to stories from real people fighting cancer successfully through powerful, integrative, and holistic methods. Learn what they did. This is my gift to you to make the learning curve less steep after your diagnosis. The information this podcast could save your life as it has others. I'm Dr. Michael Carlfield, and I'll be your host. Today's guest is Judith Johnson. Judith Johnson is an educator whose mission is to help others master the art of being true to themselves. For over 40 years, she's been studying and teaching the dynamics of how our beliefs inform our thoughts, feelings, and behaviors as individuals and in our relationships, social order, culture, and institutions. Johnson's work draws upon her own life lessons, wisdom teachings from around the world, doctoral degrees in social psychology and spiritual science, and her experience mentoring others. Ordained as an interfaith minister in 1985, she serves as a chaplain at her local hospital and counsels the grieving. Johnson is the author of Writing Meaningful Wedding Vows and Live in New York's Hudson Valley. And she is now releasing her next exciting book, Making Peace with Death and Dying, a practical guide in liberating ourselves from the death taboo. Uh, Judith, it's, it's such an honor to have you on the show today. Oh, it's totally my pleasure. I'm, I'm curious, what inspired you to write this book? I mean, this this is obviously an, an extremely important subject, but what, what drove you to, to write this book? Well, personal experience, really. I was just, you know, cruising along through my life when um, my mother fell backwards down a flight of stairs, cracked her head open and ended up in the emergency room, which started the last six months of her life. And I had been primary caregiver for her for the last nine years of her life. And it exposed me to um, how dysfunctional our society is in relationship to aging and dying and how much upside potential there is if we can start shifting how we relate to those areas of life. So, so working with her and, and kind of seeing, going through this process, yeah, with 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 uh, carrying her for last six months. I mean, what what were some of the lessons that you learned, you know, going through this process? Oh, there were so many lessons. First of all, it um, it, it taught me it, it taught me that as a caregiver, um, I needed to I needed care. And I didn't know that going through it. That was something that I learned after the fact went by burning myself out. Um, it taught me how important love is and making the time and space to be available to our loved ones when they're leaving. Um, it taught me that I had more courage than I knew I had. Um, it taught me not to be afraid of death 
that it's such a natural process. And a lot of that lesson came through um, the support of hospice. Hospice was wonderful. Um, you know, there is a, there's a point uh, in the journey of somebody who is dying. Um, you know, it's like, where do you, where do you hit the point between I'm trying this new drug therapy or this new treatment, or I'm going to have this surgery to try and get better. And then there's a point at which there's a recognition that, you know, sometimes the treatments are really causing more trouble than helping. And so there is a point at which we all have to accept the dying process. And unfortunately, a lot of people, when they hear the word hospice, they run away. It's like, oh, no, hospice means we're dying. I don't want that because it's an acknowledgement um, rather than recognizing that it means bringing in a team of people who know how to lovingly um, and and practically function around the, the dying process. And so, I mean, one of the things that you are, are really kind of driving, driving home with the book and, and it's this, that we have, you know, you, you mentioned we have such a fear of, of hospice, try to run away from that because that means that's kind of an end stage of a person's life. So we don't want to get closer to that. But just death as a whole, you know, that, that seems to be such a, a great taboo, as you mentioned in your book, here in the Western society. I mean, why, why do you think that is so? Um, the way I see it, the death taboo is at the core of our dualistic perspective through which we view birth as good and death as bad. And awakening from this collective delusion is the key to making peace with our mortality. When we um, do these polarized thought forms where this is good, that's bad, um, we have ourselves set up very deeply in our being to believe that death is something to be avoided, that all pain and suffering is to be avoided. But if you really think about it, these are normal things. I mean, we can't escape this. We might be able to delay it. But when we push away from something that's going to happen, we make ourselves unable to function effectively in dealing with it. And so our whole collective attitude in this death taboo um, makes us unable to really deal practically and effectively with with the realities of death and dying. We can be so much more helpful to each other if we open to this reality. So so with yeah, you because know, death is, is so finite. I mean so so ending and people are, are so scared of something that it just has a abrupt abrupt end, you know, and so what are some of the things that we can do to kind of to get over that, to, to not be so afraid or, or have such great taboo of, about dying and death. All right. Well, one, one of the things is there's a lot of things that we need to think more deeply about. And one of them is if you go and look up the word death in the dictionary, you're going to see that death is defined in terms of the physical body, in terms of our, our physiological processes coming to an end. And so that kind of supports the idea that we are a body and a personality and that's all we are. And so this really, you know, raises the question of when you re refer to a person is, is, I mean, is death the death of the body or is it 
and is that the end of everything or is there some part of us that goes beyond that? So it really begs the question of a spiritual dimension to our lives. And for those who do not have a spiritual awareness of something greater than the physical body, um, like death is the end. It is, you know, lights out. It's all over. For those who have a more spiritual dimension, there is a sense of this is the end of this act. <laughs> but there, are, there is more. There are other um, expressions. Um, I don't know where I'm going, but, you know, and, uh, there's lots of speculation, but there is not a sense of the, the finite ending. So it, it almost seems then that, that people in, in preparation for, I mean, I, like you mentioned, that death is inevitable. Yeah, it, it is going to happen. And just by uh, pushing it further into the future and, and not think about it or plan, a, plan it or be at peace with it or talking about it, uh, you are that it, it will just happen without you, you being ready for it. But being working then more on the, the spiritual component of what death looks like uh, will, it seems like it will put then an individual in a much better place and more at peace and and not try to keep them death at arm's length all the time. Absolutely. It's like, you know, when you think about anything that you avoid, um, you know, like, for example, uh, how, how many of us struggle with avoiding doing our taxes and we postpone it and postpone it and then we finally do it. You know what I mean? When we avoid something, um, we end up expending so much energy fighting against it, that we're not able to enjoy ourselves, okay? Um, it's it, And if you think about it simply on an energetic level, um, of, uh, trying to pretend that we're not going to die is kind of like trying to hold a beach ball under the water. It takes a lot of energy. We're not aware of it because so much of this is being spent unconsciously, okay? But alternatively, when we accept something, we empower ourselves to deal with it. So, for example, when we, one of the ways, that, and let me just say this, my book is structured to explain all about the death taboo, how it works, how it impacts us and all of that in the first part of the book. But then the second part tells us how to get free. And, you know, one of the key ways to get free is to get away from that dualistic thinking of right, wrong, good, bad. Another one is to get into into absolutely the acceptance that this is a reality, okay? So what do I need to do? Like a lot of people think, oh, I'm, I'm young. I don't need to think about that. But the reality is 28% of us will die before the age of 65. You don't have to be old to die. So getting understanding the truth and the reality about death makes it less scary preparing for it on many different levels. For example, um, having a will, having a healthcare proxy that names somebody to speak on your behalf about medical procedures at the end of the life, at the end of life, if you're unable to speak for yourself. If you don't do these things, in other words, if you let fear have a hold on you, then you don't get a say. But if you say, okay, I'm scared and I'm going to do this anyway. I'm going to fill out this piece of paper, you know. I'm going to let my wishes be known. I'm going to think about what matters to me. 
when you think about it, you know, for example, the process of filling out a healthcare proxy, it asks you to think about things like, do you want artificial nutrition? Do you want to, you know, be resuscitated? You know, and it gives you a chance to talk about under what circumstances you want what kinds of interventions. Now, if you don't let us know what matters to you and what you would prefer, then other people have authority, like, in, in to make those decisions on your behalf, and they don't know what you want, and it puts a lot of pressure on other people to try and second-guess what you would like. Yeah, and, and that's, uh, yeah, that's such valuable advice, because, I mean, we, have, I mean, accidents happen, you know, people, all of a sudden, they, they fall ill, all of a sudden, you have, you know, people, they do get cancer they do get these different things that that you you think that you are immortal and that you you're going to live forever and but there are events that take place and where that can right. move you towards death much faster than than expected and then to to have gone through all this and prepared yourself and um, you you're all of a sudden i mean it, it becomes a, a different such a different experience uh, going through that process right. and if everything is just we we just gotta rush through the whole process. Right. And you don't want to be thrown into it without having any skill. You know, it's like I am so grateful for that nine years caring for my mother and the last six months were really, really difficult. But I now know how to encounter death. I now know how to love somebody and not let my fear get in the way. Those are things that will help us help each other and make that part of life an easier part of our journey. When you when you go into that in fear and without any skill, it makes it a lot harder. So why approach with, you know, if you approach when you're in contraction, you are withholding your ability to function. We need to breathe into experiences of life, even the ones we don't like. You know, people, I mean, it's not just death as the final thing, so to speak, but it's just all forms of pain and suffering. These are normal parts of life. Life isn't about just being happy all the time. We need to learn skill in in coping with the ups and downs of life. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So, I mean, the... Death and the dying process is, is such a spiritual, powerful experience. I mean, how, can can you speak a little bit about that so that, that people can really understand how important it is to just kind of be present during that moment and, and not have to deal with all that hustle and bustle like we're talking about, but to have that already done so that you can really be present at that moment. Yeah, you bring up such a good point, which is having prepared for the, all the practicalities and the things that need to be done ahead of time, you free yourself to be able to be present and be present in sharing your loving and your comfort with the one who is dying. Um, one of the most important things for us to do is practice talking about death with each other. Um, one of the things that people get caught up in is Everybody's so scared of upsetting each other, you know. It's like, oh, I don't want to upset her. So I'm going to try and protect this other person emotionally 
by not being emotionally vulnerable myself. And the reality is, when you are emotionally vulnerable, for example, I remember saying to my mother, I can't imagine living my life without you. I love you so much. And she, you know, we talked about it. But to have that conversation rather than to say, oh, you look great today, Mom, that's denial. That's pretending this isn't happening. Okay? So the more that we open up and become real with each other, we allow our love to flow authentically between us, and we invite each other to be free to say and do whatever it is that we need to do. I was working with a client, uh, I think it was yesterday, who was talking about the um, the challenge at, when her father was dying. She was able to, um, she was the only person in the family who said, Dad, what is this like for you to know that you're dying? And he said, I'm so glad you asked. And they had deep, deep conversations about it. It's a very important thing. And let me just put in a plug here for, and if anybody out there has not heard of death cafes, I highly recommend that you go to a website called deathcafes.com. This is a concept that started in 2011. Um, somebody came up with the idea in England of why don't we get total strangers to get together, have a cup of coffee, a piece of cake, and talk about death. Now, I don't know how they came up with that idea, but it really works. And that was 2011, and now there's over 13,000 death cafes in 81 countries around the world. And you can go on their website and find one near you. It is an amazing experience to find out how easy it is to talk about death to total strangers, and yet you can't open your mouth to your own parents or your sister or your spouse. And it shows us how much work we need to do there. It, it almost seems to me that if, if we are more open and, and have this conversation, this real conversation, that it, because you know, death is, is such an equalizer. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor or whatever you've done in your life. You know, it, it's such a, such an equalizer. Yeah. And if you, yeah. if you put your place or, or put yourself in that vulnerable state, you know, where, uh, and where nothing else really matters. You know, then all of a sudden, everything, only the things that are truly important are the ones that you want to focus on and you want to have uh, to be part of your life. So it's almost like if, if you bring that in, that discussion into your life, you then all of a sudden realize what is important, what's not important, and then it brings that, you know, highlights that even more. Absolutely. And you brought up a really important word, which is to be vulnerable. You know, for some reason, we've been sold a bill of goods that we're supposed to be in control all the time. And control is one of the greatest illusions because all you have to do is try to be in control and you'll find out that you're not, you know. But especially around death, um, to surrender to the journey. And there are ups and downs. I mean, there were times with my mother where things would kind of plateau for weeks or months, and then there'd be a precipitous decline. You don't know what the path is going to look like. And you just have to bring yourself present in your loving each day, in loving service and caring for one another. Um, you know, it's, it's such an opportunity to really demonstrate our love for each other. Like for me, doing this for my mother, 
I mean, she birthed me, you know, she brought me into this world on the other end of the, of the whole journey. And for me to have the privilege of being able to assist her as she left this world, that was a great honor and a privilege for me. It was one of the greatest experiences of my life. Yeah. Yeah. It was I hard. It was hard. But it was it was so intimate. Yeah. And and that's the thing that the uh the most yeah, the most intimate, the most powerful experiences are are seldom the easiest ones. Right. And isn't that interesting how much we avoid pain and suffering? Oh, and um and yet if we will just breathe into it, we that's where we reap the greatest rewards of wisdom and experience in our lives. I remember when I was working on my second doctorate um in, in the field of spiritual science, I came to a point where I was and I was focusing on the issue of trust, trust of myself, trust of others, trust of God trust of life, you know, and I had this uh, tremendous epiphany when I was demonstrating to somebody that I felt like I had been living my life as though I had my arms stretched out like straight forward with my hands up like stop signs, kind of living life as though I can keep you that far away from me. I can, I can manage because you won't be able to hurt me. And then I realized, my goodness, I have bone spurs in my shoulders and carpal tunnel in my wrists. <laughs> and I, it was kind of the body showing me, and this is something that you and your field will appreciate, is that I literally practiced rounding my shoulders and dropping my arms and pressing my heart out into the world and leading with the vulnerability of my heart moment by moment. I love that. I love that. And I just want to kind of highlight that again like we're talking about the how important that moment of of death is i i did um one of the fascinating interviews that i did along the line was with uh, dr christopher kerr you know he wrote a book death is but a dream and where they did a Mm. a a a study of two thousand individuals and observed them through their dying process and and kind of seeing what what took place and and recognizing that the, the power that exists within that process, and, and how you know how, how beautiful it is, and how um, evolving it is, you know that the spiritual journey that an individual goes through while while they're going through that that process. It, it seems to me that we are have lost a lot of that here in our Western society, where we are almost kind of wanting to tuck people away that are dying. So we don't have to see it and have to be reminded about. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I can say from my own experience with my mother, it was, it was beautiful. (laughs) It was really beautiful. You know, um, uh, there's this, I'd just like to share a quick story. My mother, um, she knew that, uh, you know, well, let me backtrack and say we have so, we have so much focus on the physical, and you know we put people in hospitals and they're on all of these equipment, all these machines are breathing them and doing all of this stuff, and we're desperately trying to restore life rather than respecting the process of death. And um, I remember my mother was uh, in the hospital, and this was two weeks before her death, 
And one of the things that I was most aware of through the whole journey was all the stages of consciousness that shifted as we went through the journey. You know, even just that moment of accepting she's dying rather than desperately trying to restore her life, you know, and the surrender into that. And it was a relief when we surrendered and accepted she's dying. Now we're doing dying, you know. And two weeks before she died, I got a desperate call from her from the hospital. And I thought, oh, my God, this is it. She's dying. But I got into the hospital and she was she was radiant, absolutely radiant. Now, she knew that many years ago I had an experience that I always refer to as the day I stopped believing in God, because what happened was I had an experience where belief, it became not an intellectual process, but an actual experience of experiencing God's presence. Now, that's not anything you can translate or communicate to another human being, but it's an amazing experience. She knew that it happened to me and had always been a little jealous that that hadn't happened to her. And it happened two weeks before she died. She was having a breathing treatment and she really got clearly inside herself. Oh my God, I'm being breathed. You know, what, what a thought I'm being breathed. And for her, for whatever reason that translated into her knowing that God was real. Okay, that it wasn't some made up idea that we had and that God was breathing her and she was over the moon and she was as solid of mind as any of us. Okay, right through to the end. And everybody who came in in her room, she would be like, God is real. And they'd be, yes, dear, as though she's some senile old lady. But she was trying to communicate this magnificent lesson that she had had. And all day she asked me, when are they going to make the announcement? And I asked, what announcement and who? She thought that the president of the, of the United States, the Pope, and I don't remember the third person, were all going to make this life-changing announcement that God is real. She said, God is real. People will want to live their lives differently. And I just love that line because, you know, when you whether you believe in God or not, um, just Take the time to think about and um, awaken a sense of a, of a higher dimension than just the physical reality we live in. So many people are missing out on that, and there's so much to be had. Yeah, I I, I agree, and 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 that's the thing is that when you have that physical experience rather than what you're talking about, the intellectual understanding of that God exists. But then to to really have that you know that core experience of that this is what this this is true, uh, it it becomes yeah. um, it, it's hard almost then for to to see people not really feeling what you're feeling. Right, and but on the other hand, for me, it's given me much greater compassion and much greater motivation to help people um, shift their focus and get centered inside themselves. We spend so much time trying to measure up to some elusive external standards. When you even just think about the design of our of our being, everything is focused outward. And I think this is one of the great ironies of life is that the real treasures are inside, inside our own experience. And we don't spend enough time looking at that and harvesting that. 
And, and you think that this is one of the reasons why we are so afraid of, of death, because we're looking at the cessation of something physical. Uh, and if we then focus more on the spiritual journey, the mystical journey, then uh, it, the physical is not as important. We recognize there's just so much more to it. Right. And, and, and to be fair, it's, it's kind of like, it's a shared journey. I mean, it's, it's thinking, it's understanding that there are more dimensions to it. You know, it's like, it's like seeing life in black and white and then finding out, oh my goodness, there's a technicolor <laughs> to be had. But if, you know, if you only focus on the physical and you, you know, you're worried about what is, I mean, what does my body look like, you know, and how do my clothes fit in? Who do you like me? And that's only things that you're thinking about you're missing out on the fact that you are a unique being who's having a life journey. What's it like to be you? What are you learning about life? What matters to you? And people don't are not encouraged enough to ask those deeper, important questions and to spend time in that territory of deeply knowing ourselves. And when we don't know ourselves, what are we doing? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, we've, we've been discussing kind of how how we view death here in, in the Western society, but how how about in other cultures like you know, like Eastern philosophy, you know, Buddhism? Uh, how how do they view death? I mean, do do they have the same fear, or do they deal with it differently? It's totally different. I'm so glad you brought that up. I have a whole section in the book about um, about Buddhist perspectives on death and dying and it imagine imagine growing i mean we grow up in this society with fear okay imagine if instead you grew up in a state of consciousness that recognized life as an impermanent state you know it comes and it goes you know like clouds in the sky and you have this much broader sense of cycles of nature of things uh, moving through space and time, of not staying the same, and that that's normal. So even just the state of the, the, the thoughts of impermanence are important. And there's also um, a lot of beliefs in, in Eastern thinking that have to do with what are we doing while we're here? And it all revolves around um, clearing up and uh, learning how to have a clean, clear state of consciousness, how to be peaceful inside yourself. And so learning techniques like that, learning not to, for example, in, in Buddhism, you're taught to avoid grasping for things, trying to grab onto things and hold on to things. So attachment and avoidance, it becomes a practice of letting go. Don't grab, don't hold, just be. So it keeps bringing you home to the state of being rather than the state of having and doing and getting and acquiring and all of that that we seem to get so obsessed with. And there are lots of different cultural um, approaches to death and dying. But, um, you know, ours has really unfortunately gotten way far away from anything that's natural. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And, and something, you know, in regards to the, the impermanence, I mean, in Buddhist philosophy, 
obviously anything that is impermanent, it, it, it's unreal. And then if you are then we're talking about who am I if I'm not this physical body or if I'm not you mm-hmm. know, this, this successful career, you know, who, who am I? And by doing that, you know, in, you know, kind of looking at that a little bit deeper, then you are, I guess if you set yourself up in a, a more peaceful state because you are not so, like you, you mentioned, we're grasping, you know, we're not grasping the, the physical reality, but we're at peace with, with how things are flowing. And and the focus of where our attention goes, if your attention is flowing inward and upward rather than outward, you know, into into the world of of stuff and, you know, all of that interrelationship, it's not about avoiding relationships and things like that. They're very important. But how are you participating? You know, it's it's centering in your own experience and valuing the inner experience and becoming much more acquainted with it and also becoming acquainted with the fact that things change all the time. We're always dealing with change. And um, what are some of the costs uh, that that we we experience when when we are living it, this kind of trying to deny death, so to say, you know, keep it at an arm's length, you know, where we're developing carpal tunnel and bone spurs. <laughs> but what, right. what, 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 there, what, what well, in my book, I go, it, it, yeah, in the book, I go through that what I call the 10 major costs and consequences of the death taboo, which really are to motivate us to, hey, I don't want to live like this. One of them is living in fear. When we live in fear, we're in contraction. We're approaching things when we're disabled from functioning effectively. Another one is being ill-informed, unprepared, and ill-equipped for death. You know, we live in this pretending that death doesn't exist, but it does. And if we pretend it doesn't exist, that means I'm not getting prepared. I'm not going to be masterful at doing this. I want to be good at this. You know, if I'm going to do this, I want to do a good job. Another one is this seeking the fountain of youth rather than fully embracing all phases of life. You know, why Why should we just embrace youth and young bodies and things like that rather than say, well, you know, it's normal to age. I mean, and and things do change. When we deny that, we make it wrong. So that's a really important one. Another one is emotional isolation. If I'm not going to talk to you about death and I'm going to pretend it doesn't happen, or I try to protect you, like, for example, how many people get a a life-threatening diagnosis and they don't want to tell their loved ones because they don't want to upset them? Well, excuse me. (laughs) You tell them so that they can love and support you through the journey and put their arms around you, you know? But when we isolate emotionally, we shut each other out, and that's not a good way to go through this. Um, there's a lot of disconnection um, that we experience. We postpone and avoid end-of-life planning. That's huge. Everybody who says, oh, I can do it later, I'm, I'm still young. No, do it now. We deny the power of grief. That's another one. Um, grief has its own way um, with each person. And it is a, it, 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 it shakes you to the core of your being. 
You know, when you lose somebody that you love dearly, um, you know, I've worked with a lot of people who have lost spouses, for example, and all of a sudden their lives, all the routines of their lives are different. And they're all the time, times in the day where they normally would say, honey, what are you? Oh, wait a minute. Honey isn't there anymore. You know, it's like this person who has been part of the normal living and breathing of their everyday life is no longer there. Um, and we grieve differently each different death. No two people grieve the same way, and one person doesn't grieve two deaths the same way. But it is a huge force that we need to make space for. Um, and we're only very recently starting to make headway in corporations and all to make time for grief. You know, and for many years, the average number of days that somebody got off for the death of a primary family member was like four days. You don't finish grieving in four days. You don't become fully functional in four days. And so we need to allow ourselves the relief that comes with grief. And there's a lot of costs of death in the workplace. One in 10 individuals in the workplace are, at some, are grieving some major loss in their life at any point in time. You know, these are huge things, huge things. Um, you know, our medical model has been set up simply to deal with life, but not to deal with the dying process. It's only about keeping you alive. And it's only in the recent years with the advent of hospice that we are learning to how to do dying. And I mean, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of hospice. Um, one of the things I wish everybody knew is that the word hospice is not synonymous with, oh, no, I don't want to go there because that means I'm acknowledging death. No, hospice means your person is dying and you have an opportunity to have people surround you who know how to do death well. They were wonderful. Yeah. All right. How, and how is an individual, yeah, when, when you are, going through you you you're interacting with somebody that's dying i mean like like you mentioned earlier is that you you don't want to make people feel uncomfortable and you feel that if you're talking about death with them that they uh it's 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 almost like you've already accepted that they're dying and then we've let them go and then you know we're so how how do you feel that how should a person interact with an individual that is dying? I mean, what, what would be kind of the, the appropriate and so that it is the, the, the most uh, uplifting, positive experience that, that one can have? That is such a great question. And I guess I'd approach it two ways. Uh, it depends on the nature of the relationship that you have with that person. But it is, if it's somebody with whom you have a loving, caring relationship, um, the first thing I would say is keep the loving and caring flowing. Don't, you know, because sometimes when we go into, into fear, we forget that what about my love, the person I love is, is going through this experience. And so keep the expression of love alive. And, um, and the other thing is to recognize that that person is the one who's dying. Take your, your cues from them. It's their death. And even if you think you know better than they do how or what they should do in this process, um, and if they disagree with you, your job is to support them in their journey of dying. It's not to tell them how to do it. 
So, you know, a lot of times we try to resort to being in control. No, be vulnerable. Be in your loving. Let them know you love them. And if they don't want to talk about it, then you don't talk about it. But if they do, but you, you know, you, you open doors of opportunity. You, you ask them, do you want to talk about how you're feeling about what's going on? You know, ask leading questions. And if you get clear answers of, no, I'm, I'm fine. If maybe they don't want to talk, maybe they want to just be isolated. Let them lead the way. Yes. Yeah, so you, you shouldn't really push the subject if, if they, if they are really not wanting to go there, you're just, and I like your, your mentioning, you're, you're just to be there, you know, be in love uh, and be supportive through the process, whatever that may be. Cause you know, the, the process I, I would assume is different for everybody. I mean, it's, it's just like childbirth, you know, it's, yes, there are, you know, certain components of it that's similar, but uh, you know, how everything is taking place in an order, you know, that's different. It's unique. Right. And absolutely. And also, um, you know, people don't know what to do. One of the primary things you do is focus on what, you know, find out what do you need? How can I help you? You know, that's one of the ways that, you know, when I say stay in your loving, well, what does that look like? What do you need? How can I help you? Um, Also, if you find that the person, for example, is not, um, seeming to be in reality about the fact that they're dying, like they're the ones in denial, you might speak to the doctor or some of the, somebody on the nursing staff and say, is there somebody who might talk to them, who might help them, who's not a family member or a loved one? Um, I know it was very meaningful to my mother, for example, having the support of the hospice team, um, you know, to help her talk about things that she, for example, didn't want to burden me with. You know, so be resourceful. Go ahead. And 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 and, and I also think, uh, I mean, what what do you think about the individual themselves? I mean, we we you know we mentioned be there, be loving, you know, let them take the lead. Mm-hmm. But some people may be afraid themselves of dying, so that they're kind of in that space of of fear because it is the unknown. I mean, how how mm-hmm. do you feel an individual should should address that and approach that? Well, what comes to my mind immediately when you ask that is, and again, it depends on the nature of your relationship. I know for myself, um, even in in dealing with hospice patients before COVID, <laughs> you know, or not hospice patients, people who were dying in the hospital as while I'm a chaplain. Um, sometimes just a physical touch, just, you know, is it okay if I touch you? And just kind of a gentle rubbing of their hand and saying, how are you doing? How's it going for you? Is there anything you want to talk about? Is there anything I can do to help you? You know, again, if they're afraid, it's not your job to make them unafraid. Okay. Some people go to their death afraid and aren't able to transition out of that. All you can do is open some doors of love and comfort and caring, you know, but it's, it's like, this is going to sound really crazy, but this is what just came up. I remember um, I was in a consulting business years ago and 
and I used to get kind of attached to the idea of the of people wanting our business, you know. And when we do a pitch and they didn't want our work, I felt, you know, rejected. And my boss said to me, "You've got to go with a state of consciousness of as though you're at a picnic and you're passing out the mustard and ketchup, and you're going to people saying, did you want mustard or ketchup with that?" This is the kind of detachment that we need to have with a loved one. We need to let them know that we're there and we love them, but we need to respect and trust their process. And if their process is one of fear, then we try and present some thoughts about being more, you know, about being less fearful and maybe helping see if you can get resources in there that help them. Ask the doctor if perhaps there is something that they can do for them. But don't try to change and fix it. Help, but don't try to take control. And I know that's a very fine line, but it's a very important thing to let the other per- the person who's dying have their journey. It's it's spiritually important. I love that. Well, Judith, thank you so much for for coming onto the show today. This, this is such a um, incredibly important uh, lesson, you know, and and you know, piece of, of knowledge for us to have uh, as we're going through life to understand all aspects of life, you know, which death is obviously one of the extremely important aspects of life. So, thank you so much for for taking this step and bringing this out to the world. My pleasure. Thank you so much. The information this podcast is for educational purposes only and is not designed to diagnose or treat any disease. If you'd like to know more about what my center offers, please visit thecarlfeldcenter.com. Please join us next week for another live consultation with a patient diagnosed with cancer on Integrative Cancer Solutions with Dr. Carlfeld.